How's it going, Real Dealers? It's your man, Phil Paul. And before we begin today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to our peeps over at Minstrance. Minstrance is a new clothing line on the market that specializes in the best workout attire for your next quarantine workout or gym workout wherever you are. Make sure to go follow them on Instagram at Minstrance and also check out their line on Minstrance.com. Make sure to use our code, The Real Deal For You, to get 25% off on your next purchase. Stay fit, stay strong, and always keep it real. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. How's it going, Real Dealers? It is your man, Phil Hall. Welcome to the Real Deal Bros podcast. And today I have a very special guest with me. She is uh, currently a professional softball player. Uh, she also played softball and also ran track at the University of California, Berkeley and has played softball in countries as, such as Switzerland, New Zealand, and even here in the United States. And she is also a fitness enthusiast and also a singer. Everybody, I'd like to welcome to the show, Kayla Taylor. Hi, everybody. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Kayla, yeah, this, uh, it's been, been about a minute uh, since uh, yeah, the last time we talked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, I would say it's been at least like four, five years, maybe. Yeah, just about. Yeah. So um story of how me and Kayla met, I was actually at a um well back when I was playing baseball in high school, uh me and my team we went to see a baseball game at Cal and uh Kayla was sitting over on the hillside uh, of the baseball game and I actually went up to talk to her because I think I realized that she was on the softball team. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and she uh, I actually asked her for some advice on recruiting as you know, I was playing ball in high school and you know, I wanted to get some recruiting advice from a well, I already known college athlete. And I, yeah, I guess we kind of been friends ever since. And yeah, she's very, you know, presence on social media and also presence in the softball world. And uh, yeah, it's definitely glad to have her on. So Kayla, so, so far, like how, how have things been going? Like just, you know, give everybody an update on what you've been, what you've been up to. And yeah, just, uh, you know. <laughs> Man, quarantine has been wild. Um... <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, especially as an athlete, you know, got to stay accountable um, with your workouts. Um, for me, I've just been staying ready, obviously, um, with um, my whole contract and everything. Things have kind of been either at a standstill or frozen just because um, their federations aren't open yet um, or allowing um, their softball uh, programs to uh, start practicing yet so um, I have a couple teams that are interested um, I also recently just tried out for another MPF team um, in uh, California uh, California promotion mm. um, it was a really cool tryout I um, met a lot of uh, former players that I played against as well as um, players that I played with or against uh, in my travel high, uh, travel uh, softball teams when oh, wow. back when I was 14 years old. So it was really cool. It was kind of like a reunion. Um, uh, being able to just, um, you know, try out for a team that um, is so close to home was an opportunity of a lifetime. Um, yeah, it was super. I was super excited when I found out that there was going to be a, a professional team in California. But obviously, given the pandemic, there's really nothing going on right now. Um, athletes are kind of at a standstill, like I said. And really, it's about just staying ready, staying accountable for when everything does open back up 
and these contracts and um, these teams start to, uh, you know, give us another shot. Oh <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, all that's great. And you know, I'm glad you know, you're still keep going with the uh, professional softball and, and yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, as a sports fan also, you know, I'm somebody that enjoys watching sports, like that's, has a future in sports. So, you know, study sports management at St. John's. And uh, yeah, even as a student that goes to school to study sports, yeah, I definitely seen the impact that COVID-19 has had on just the, the sports realm. Like every sport is right now kind of at a standstill and just on hold. And yeah, I know, you know, as an af- professional athlete yourself, I, I always wondered, you know, because like, again, like that is still a job to people. Like people, well, I look at professional athletes and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, they're athletes that work about like three hours a day or three hours, like for three hours each week. And, you know, but I feel like it's more than that. You know, they're athletes, even though they still have these kind of like elaborate and, you know, like extravagant lifestyles, they, they still are human. They still, you know, have health issues. They still have to pay bills. They still have to, you know, put food on the table. Yeah, real people, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not superheroes. I'd like to, yeah. I like to wish we would, we were, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're still people. Yeah, but um, I guess, you know, I, I kind of get into uh, like just about the impact of professional softball and COVID-19 later on the show. But um, I guess, you know, for people that don't really know you as well, maybe you could give us a background on how you started playing sports. Because from, from knowing you, I know you have like a very large athletic background, you know, being a two-sport athlete in college and, you know, just and also being a two-sport athlete and even in high school. And, you know, you give everybody an update of how you got into sports and yeah, just kind of tell your uh, life story a little bit. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I was kind of a very hyperactive child. Um, you couldn't make me sit down much. So um, my uh, my parents put me in three sports, like, right away. Um, I believe I was, like, maybe, like, five, six, or seven uh, going into these sports um, just to keep me busy you know, keep my energy pumping just because I was, I also played soccer and I played softball at a young age. Um, what I can remember uh, from playing those sports is that it was, it was like I was very gifted in all of them because I was so competitive. So I kept playing basketball until about my sophomore year of high school, uh, just because, you know, uh, my my you know if I am let's just say if my height is uh, restricting me from becoming a better basketball athlete then I may need to you know hang up uh, <laughs> those shoes mm-hmm. <laughs> and possibly think about um, you know other um, I got invited to go play um, in Holland when I was ten. Oh wow. Um, and unfortunately, my parents at the time, or really my mom, because my dad, uh, my dad was uh, deployed a lot. So the uh, m- majority of my life, uh, he did coach me, but he was, uh, he was gone all the time. So my mom uh, decided that it wasn't an opportunity that they could afford. And um, I also decided to stop playing soccer at that age, even though... Um, I was fairly good uh, because I was playing um, well with soccer. Sometimes you play with people that are way older than you, like a couple years older than you. And um, especially in my hometown, 
uh, everybody kind of knew who I was as an athlete. And some people kind of criticized me given the fact that I was such a good athlete. So there was a lot of politics um, mm. in the place where I came from. So uh, <sighs> soccer ended a little bit too early. I honestly think that I probably could have gone to college for soccer. I was really passionate about soccer, but it, uh, came to an unfortunate circumstance of not making a team based off of politics and because of the relationship that that coach had against my mom. So it was oh. just, yeah, there, was, there was a lot of things going on. Um, my mom, it was a very hardcore, very independent woman that was well, well known in the community where I lived in SoCal. So it was kind of like, you know, you either like my mom or you didn't. And sometimes mm. if you didn't, it um, came back to bite me. So um, it was fine. But with softball, I've, I can say that I've played that game the longest. Um, I wanted to play more sports, but it was kind of more of being realistic to being competitive in the sports that I'm good at. Um, I always loved to play games. Like I, hated practice whenever I would have to whenever my parents would tell me okay like we're going to practice I would just have the biggest attitude I was like man like one of the games like I'm trying to be competitive in the games like practice uh like you know Alan, and like also Alan Iverson like practice like yeah yeah being coached by your parents too can drain you out so um I was also like coached by my mom and my dad so uh it just seemed like they were way harder on me or uh, my coaches were harder on me in practice. But then when it got to the games, they know that Kayla is going to compete. She doesn't have a problem with getting motivated for games and everything. So, um, yeah, at a really young age, I kind of developed my competitiveness for wanting to win or wanting to succeed for myself. Um, which kind of humbled me because it was never, I was never a player that like was all in your face. If we won, like mm. I was very respectful. I was respectful of the other team. You know, I just had um, this sense of like, if we lost, um, it wasn't an accomplishment for me, but it was something to learn from. Mm. Um, and my parents really instilled that in me that like, yeah, you lost. Yeah. You may have not done what you thought was your best, but there's always opportunity to get better. So, um, yeah, that's probably a little, little bit of the back end of my sports coming up as a kid. Um, I didn't start um, running track until my um, freshman year of high school. I know a lot of people start early with that. I know. Um, there was a lot of like club running teams and stuff like that, like time machine and, you know, a lot of places um, in LA that had these like running clubs and everything that are like super famous. I never did any of that. I honestly like jumped into that sport with absolutely no idea if I was going to do well or not. But like I said, in between the ears, I'm a competitive person. So I, didn't necessarily take like the sport lightly like I made it a competition against myself and my peers of who I was running with and it seemed like um that ended up being successful in the long run just because uh I ended up just from running 
uh, four years, I ended up going to state. So it was just something that was so crazy to me because, you know, my goddad got me into it. He was like, hey, like, you should run your fast. And I was like, uh, I don't know, like track is like different. And really people don't understand that track is so different. It's not just running. There's actually like a technique to running. And that was something that like I had to try and master just because I didn't know that there was like any type of technique when it comes to running. So when I like train my kids, I, um, I actually do um, teach them the proper mechanics of running. Because in any type of sport, you know, you don't want to look goofy. <laughs> you can have a little bit of goofiness to you, but as long as we have, you know, the right form, then we're doing all right. So, yeah, yeah, I can say that myself. Yeah, I, I ran track a bit growing up, and I was actually really before I got into baseball. And yeah, like my my mom actually coached me during track, and yeah, there is a lot of uh, you know technique that goes with it. It's not just you know running and turn laps. You also you know it's just about form and athleticism and yeah, all that is a is an art, and all that does need to be mastered. But uh, yeah, it definitely sounds like you have a very large athletic background. You know, you have this God given talent of yeah, you know, athleticism, and yeah, and I think that really led you to uh, um be, become a that Division One athlete. So um, I I think we could kind of go into how was the recruiting process like for you when you were deciding on what college college you were going to, or like when did you know or when did you know that you had a chance to play sports in college? Um, so I didn't start taking sports seriously until about 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with softball, uh, back when I was playing, it's a little bit different now. Um, you can verbally commit by the age of 13. So mm-hmm. when I started playing for my travel ball team, uh, for softball, the Corona angels, um, our head coach, Marty Tyson, really instilled in us that, you know, I'm going to help you get to where you want to be, regardless of where it's at. And you're going to get a scholarship, but you got to prove to me that you deserve that scholarship from whatever school that's interested in you. So he really instilled that even heightened competitiveness in me because I was like, oh, so now I got to prove that, um, in order to get to college and for college to be paid for, like I have to show these schools that I'm worth betting on basically because, you know, scholarships are worth money and some uh, scholarships are less or more than others. And I always wanted to be that one that got a full ride scholarship to help out my parents because I felt like my parents have done so much for me that they don't deserve to be in debt because of me, (laughs) you know, because I knew that they had their own uh, their own, um, expenses. So, um, yeah. So when I started playing for the Crone Angels, that kind of, um, you know, kicked me in the butt a little bit. I was like, okay, softball is not necessarily like always fun. Like now I have to be focused, serious, and make sure that when I go to like showcases or any competitive games that I got to prove, Uh, to everybody out there on that field that I deserve to go to a school um so back when I was like 13 um I remembered that uh, about I would say like four to five people on my team were already verbally committed um Mm -hmm. some ranged to being eighth graders to being um freshmen in high school and 
at the time I was like, just, I was a baby freshman, like just going in probably into the fall. Um, and I was, I was kind of like, oh, wow. Like there's, there's girls that are committing. Um, there's girls getting letters. Like I want to do that. I want to get letters. Like I want to get seen and I want to verbal too. Cause I was always afraid of being that girl that burbled like right when, like basically right when they were about to sign their senior year. It was mm -hmm. something that I was afraid of. It wasn't necessarily something that I didn't respect because there's so many good players that end up committing later. Uh, but I was, I had like an anxiety that like, I need to commit, I need to be verbal, like before I'm a sophomore in high school, like this has to happen. Um, so I ended up being this one showcase um, that uh, I was, I was in 14U, so I was in 14 and under, and I went to a showcase that was an 18 and under showcase. So um, everybody knows that if you go to a showcase that you're gonna see girls that are going into college like within like three to six months and you're also going to see a whole bunch of college coaches. We're talking about like between 50 to 100 college coaches at once sometimes. Just because these uh, coaches, they go to these showcases so that they can see what they like or see the girls that they've already either uh, verbally committed or they're already signed. So it's kind of like um, a stage where it's like, hey, like show what you got. And, you know, if you mess up, you know, everybody saw. <laughs> and then if you do great, also everybody saw. So um, it wasn't until I think it was like my second game where uh, there was about, I would say, 15 college coaches there. And I was so nervous. Mind you, I was playing on the 18U team as a 14-year-old. So I was playing with girls that are uh, – you know, all Americans, like now, um, after their college career, they were all Americans. They played on the USA team. These were girls that were, you know, high caliber athletes. And I literally was like, wow, like I'm playing with these girls. Like this girl's going to Washington. This girl's going to UCLA. This girl's going here, going there. So I was nervous. I was like, the fact that I'm even playing with these girls, like I got to, you know, show what I got. Um, and prove to my travel ball coach that like I'm ready you know to play at the level uh that I need to play at because when you do come into college you are playing against people who are three to four years older than you so you have to be able to uh figure out if you're going to be that freshman that starts or if you're going to be that freshman that kind of like goes throughout their season and they don't really get to start don't really get to play and they may need a year to you know get acclimated and then maybe they'll play their sophomore year so I kind of uh took that opportunity in that moment uh to be like okay like this is do or die like this is how I'm gonna get a scholarship or I'm going to basically piss on myself <laughs> in front of all these college coaches so um I ended up having a day that day I went like two for three I had two stolen bases um a couple crazy catches um, in the outfield. I remember that it was one of the best games that I've ever had in my entire life. And um, 
that was when Cal saw me and they're like, dude, like this girl is raw. Like we need her. And she's 14. Like we got to get her now. Wait, wait, so because Cal was that's how you, when you were 14? Yes. Yeah. Um, I was, I was young. So hmm. uh, it was very nerve wracking to me just because um, Cal ended up being my first offer and I took it. Um, not a lot of athletes take their first offer, but for me, I kind of wanted to stay in California regardless, um, going to school. And when, uh, Cal offered me, I was, I was like, yep, I'm ready. Like, I, I want to go to Cal, like this done deal. Like, I don't want to go anywhere else. And that's crazy because right when I verbaled, that's when every letter started pouring in and I was like, dang, this is crazy. Like, what if like I could have went here I could have went there I could have went there I was just like so ecstatic because I was like wow like I really um mean something to these schools like as an athlete and it really um humbled me because I was like wow you know like having verbaled early like made made it made sense for me to be like, I have to be better. Like I have to do better uh, regardless if I, I'm verbal already. Like I just, I need to continue to become that athlete that doesn't peak. And that was also one thing that I was afraid of was peaking. Uh, Cause sometimes uh, certain athletes, they get to a certain age or they get to a certain, you know, um, threshold where they just can't do anymore. And um, I didn't want to be that type of athlete. So uh, even when I verbaled, I still worked hard. I worked hard in school because school wasn't necessarily like my biggest thing. I was, you know, I was a jock. Like I did sports. I was good at sports. So when it came to school and they're like, hey, like you have to get a certain GPA by your senior year. I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> then I got to start. I got to start getting A's then. Um <laughs> So, yeah, it was really cool um, being so young to have already made that big decision to where I was going to go. But that's just how softball was back then. I know um, they've uh, set the age to 16 now, so you can't verbal until you're 16. Um, just for, I think, for the safety of athletes, just because it's like, you know, when you're 14 years old, you don't know what you want. And some people – um, make the wrong decisions for the wrong reasons. And especially when you're 14, you know, you're playing for your parents. Sometimes you're not playing for yourself. And sometimes these girls make these decisions um, for their parents instead of for themselves. So I, I'm, I'm appreciative that they've changed um, the uh, recruitment rule to 16, just because now these girls can be mature and know that their decision that they're making um, is right for them. Because um, for me, I didn't get good in track until about my like junior year of high school. And then I started getting letters my junior year from colleges and track. So I kind of had it, this in my head, like, dang, like, what if I waited? Like, could I have went to like UCLA for track? Or could I have went to you know like Oregon like I was I was kind of like shocked because I was always that girl that oh like Kayla's going to Cal like she's not worried about where she's going to school but I also was like dang like I got all these offers from all these different schools 
I could have went somewhere, but I decided I decided to stick with my gut and honestly be loyal because um, I feel like it's different than like guys sports because I feel like guys like they they'll decommit right away. They'll be like, oh, yep, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm committed to Ohio State, but I just decommitted and now I'm going to like Alabama or something like that. Like, I feel like girls don't have that. Um, I, I don't know, like cockiness in a way. Like we're very like straight to the point, like, okay, you offer me, I'm staying here. I'm going here. Um, because I've heard of some athletes where, you know, they have committed to like a certain university and then, uh, that coach got fired and, uh, that person that was on a full ride or was on a scholarship, um, that new coach that comes in decides not to give them that promised kind of scholarship. And then sometimes you're just left in the mud as an athlete because the coach doesn't know you or has other athletes in mind that they want to give your scholarship away. So like this happens all the time. So it's almost like, I feel like a lot of girls are way more loyal when it comes to um, sticking with one school than like just decommitting and going somewhere else and having like all these different options because, you know, like, well, I really only see it with like football and male sports, but um, it, it's very rare to see like a female like decommit and then like go to like another big school. So. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a lot about recruiting. So you probably, probably know, already know about the future plan for college athletes to get paid. So what, like, like, what are your thoughts about that, about uh, Division One athletes and also NCAA athletes getting paid in the future? Oh man, I really, I really wish that I could. I wish get you could get those those four years back, saying like, "Oh man, yeah, I'm really yeah, that would be awesome." Um, uh, so I honestly uh, think that uh, there's so much money in this country that it it would be nice for athletes uh, to be compensated. Um, the thing is, is that us as um, athletes in college, we are bringing the revenue in to the school as well as our athletic programs. So even if it's a very small amount of money that you get per game, um, we could treat it as, as like an hourly pay, you know, $25 a game, kind of like what umpires get. Umpires get like $40 a game or something like that. It's something very, you know, um, basic, but also very fair because it is a job. Um, when we are in our respective universities, we not only have to excel in the classroom, but we also have to excel in our sports. So it's almost like having two full-time jobs and trying to make ends meet. Um, and it would just be nice for um, athletes to get compensated just because um, I know that me being in college, uh, we got a certain stipend per month. And if, uh, depending on my rent situation of how expensive the costs were for me to live, um, sometimes I was pocketing money and sometimes I had to ask my mom for money every month. Um, so I think it would just uh, lessen that burden of, um, you know, financial instability just because, you know, us as athletes, especially coming in, um, if, if we never had a job before, um, it's kind of tough because we are dedicating so many hours to our sport 
that, um, you know, it's tiresome and sometimes the per diem isn't enough. And sometimes we are going home hungry and sometimes we don't have enough time or energy to make food or not enough food, um, you know, in our apartments or our dorms. So it would just make things a little bit easier. It's not necessarily, we're not, we're not asking for millions of dollars per athlete. Let's, let's get that straight. Let's leave that to the baseball players and the basketball players and the football players. Um, but it would just be nice uh, to kind of be respected in a way that what you're doing and your dedication towards your sport is appreciated. And we want to go ahead and give you like a stipend on top of, you know, cause there may be athletes that aren't on scholarship that are walk-ons. Like now they have an opportunity to make money and maybe this is going to help them, you know, um, spend uh, some of their money to take care of their books or maybe their tuition or whatever. So um, I'm definitely for it. I've always been for it. So, yeah. especially uh, being in a female sport, that doesn't necessarily make a whole bunch of money. So, yeah. <laughs> I would say, um, you know, I, I am for it. Like, yeah, I do believe that college athletes do need to be supported in some type of way because last year the NCAA made a billion dollars off of March Madness alone. And, you know, even if you add that with the revenue that's being made in football and like all the other bigger sports, yeah, like I feel the students or the student athletes should be getting a slice of the pie knowing that they're they're the product on the field i mean and like i hate to use the term product when i'm referring to athletes because again they're like they're not robots like they're human and like i i advocate for that so much i advocate the fact that athletes do deserve to be treated like normal people and you know not so much as as a machine because you know an athlete can shut down at any moment and exactly you know, one, Right. And once they take off the uniform and once, you know, they walk out the locker room, they're back to being a, another person in society. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, and I, I definitely am supporting the fact that athletes, college athletes should be paid. But on the other hand, I do believe that there are a few missing pieces to the puzzle as far as separation and money, because if you look at the differences in, you know, just a D1 landscape, there could be a guy playing playing basketball at Duke and be making over a million dollars and like be notified as the next Zion Williamson. Or, you know, mm -hmm. if you go to a, a much smaller D1 school that plays in a smaller conference and probably plays at a college that doesn't get as much TV exposure as like a Pac-12 school or uh, like an SEC mm -hmm. school, you know, you have yeah. to figure out how that money is going to be divided. And even if, even with recruiting, you know, you have your yeah. five-star walk-ons, uh, I mean, five-star recruits, your four-star recruits, your three-star recruits, and your walk-ons. And I, I feel like there's probably going to be a little bit of friction in the locker room as far as separation of money because the walk-on could be scoring, like you have better stats than the five-star recruit coming in. And the walk-on oh, yeah. are going to go to the athletic director saying, hey, I, I feel like I should be getting a raise on my on, on my stipend. Or I don't know, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be like a contract or be just mm -hmm. like a like an agreement for how much you get paid or yeah, if you get paid fine. by yeah and yeah I feel like the NCAA should uh, have those ha like have those aspects in place as far as separation and money uh, marketing should there be a set limit on how much uh, athletes should be paid in their in their sport and like again I'm all for the idea but I feel like you still need to you know fill fill in some fill in some unfilled holes as far as trying to get this plan through. But um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely glad that, 
you know, you, you definitely see some support in college athletes now with them being paid because I know, yeah, I definitely do agree with the fact on college athletes getting paid. So, um, well, Morris, you know, fast forward, you know, you finished your four years in college at Cal, you know, graduated, mm -hmm. uh, done playing sports, and then you go into the life of being a professional softball player. So, what what has that life been like as a professional softball player? Like, or what what's the professional softball scene like, and what is a typical day in the life for a pro softball player? Mm -hmm. Um. So, the thing with me that I think is a little bit different with a lot of uh, professional athletes is that I don't have an agent. I've always been my mm -hmm. own agent. Um. I know a lot of people either pay uh, agents to you know do like kind of like the dirty work for them or the extensive work for them. Um, I've always been very independent. So I've always, um, you know, did the dirty work, um, you know, uh, got down to sending hundreds of emails to teams, um, basically stating why I deserve uh, to be on their roster or to help their team. Um, the professional uh, softball realm, especially internationally, is awesome. Um, the baseline requirements, especially for um, imports, is what they call people who are out of the country. There's kind of a limit to how many imports you can have per team just to make it a little bit fair. Um, there are some teams out there that don't have imports, and then there's some that uh, do. So it doesn't necessarily mean that like if you have imports, you have a better team and that if you don't, then, you know, maybe you're stacked, but um, in your own country. But um, I could say for an American uh, player um, that's played in the U.S. competitively and gone overseas to play professionally, um, I'm highly respected in that way, just because um, as an outfielder, um, it's really hard to go and be like the import that everybody wants. Normally when people are looking for um, professional athletes, uh, they want pitchers, catchers, middle infielders, normally like shortstops or second basemen. Um, outfield is not necessarily a priority that a lot of these teams are looking for. Um, and fortunate enough, I had my stats to back me up enough. <laughs> so, um, numbers don't lie. So when, yeah, so yeah, numbers don't lie. So, um, so I sent, uh, you know, all these teams, my stats, um, and obviously coming from a PAC 12 school, that's kind of like a ding, 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 like, okay, <laughs> like we may use her for sure. Um, but yeah, being an outfielder and trying to kind of sell myself to other teams, especially by myself, was kind of difficult. But it, I always seemed to catch somebody's eye, uh, given my um, my offensive stats. So um, yeah, I uh, I love playing overseas. I love the fact that they're trying to learn and grow with the game knowing and respecting us that play here in the U.S. and how competitive we make the game. Um, because we do, we do take it so seriously that sometimes, like, you know, there have been times where they're like, Kayla, like, chill out. It's just a game. <laughs> and it's just, like, my nature. Like, I'm so competitive. Like, you know, I, I could get, like, upset about a play or mad about an at-bat but still be able to, um, you know, pick myself up and get ready for the next rep 
or um, the next opportunity. So, um, but, you know, being a professional athlete has definitely um, been a great experience uh, just because I felt like I didn't peak. Uh, like I said before, uh, there's some athletes that peak and I just felt like I haven't peaked yet. So I wanted to go professional. I always wanted to be a professional athlete since I was a little girl. Um, I could probably look at some old, like little cute third grader dream write up saying, I want to be a professional athlete. You know what I mean? So um, it was always a dream of mine. And the fact that I've got, I've had, I've gotten to live it out for so long um, with the opportunities that I've had for the past three years. Um, it's been a blessing because, you know, my body's still holding up. I'm still very athletic given my age. So um, it's kind of like, why not just push it until we can't push it no more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always the mindset for professional athletes. And um, like, well, uh, I mean, ask you, so as far as softball goes, because I know for baseball, traditionally, when, when a player finishes high school, or when he's done playing in college, he gets drafted to a pro team. So in softball, I'm not sure if it's like that in overseas, but in, in the United States, is there like a like a set draft for softball players, or how does that work? Yeah, so mm -hmm. so um, so the draft is basically the MPF, like I was saying before. Um, the MPF is kind of like our MLB for softball. Mm. Um, not a lot of players um, get drafted. Um, you know, there's hundreds. Of baseball players that get drafted to, for the MLB. Um, I believe there's about six rounds, six to seven rounds, and there's about seven picks. <laughs> so it's like six to seven picks. So how, how, how many teams are in the league? Uh, yeah. So right now, um, I believe there's about four to five in the league, but hmm. uh, some of them are international. So you have the um, you have the Eagles, which is a team in China. You have the Peppers, which is in Australia. You have Canadian Wild. Um, and then you have um, the Scrap Bear Dogs. Um, USSI Pride is their own separate um, organization, but they used to be part of the MPF, but they branched off. So that's another pro team. And then uh, California Commotion that just came up. But a lot of... Um, Professional softball used to be very um, more popular and more teams uh, back then, like back in um, like the 80s. Um, and since then, a lot of teams have had to fold based off of the funds and the access to, um, you know, donors and money in the sport um, and kind of like, you know, is softball really a monetary sport, which it is. Uh, cause there's almost, a whole bunch of people watching the college world series when it right. comes on. <laughs> so, so it almost kind of sounds like, actually, like, have you seen the movie a league of their own? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, it, it almost kind of sounds like the pro softball leagues that you mentioned, it kind of didn't have that sort of aspect as like the all American professional girls baseball league. But um, mm -hmm. I, I guess with, you know, since there are a lot more investors in sports nowadays, like there are, I feel like there are some more people willing to invest in these smaller leagues and also, you know, try to get, get them more exposure to a national audience. I don't know. I, I, you, you probably, uh, you could probably say different about that, but you know, like, are there any, any people like, like what's the fan base like for the NPF? 
Couldn't tell you. I've been trying to get into the MPF for three years. Um, uh, I think that there's a lot of politics involved um, in the MPF just because it's like you only have about 50 girls going in to play professional softball when there's over hundreds of girls who are in so many different divisions that are athletes. Like they are raw they deserve to play at the professional level. And um, some of these coaches don't really see that. Um, so that's why there is an international opportunity for these girls to be able to go and play um, overseas if they don't necessarily feel like becoming a pro professional athlete in their own country is attainable. I mean, um, the thing with softball is, is that it's kind of like, you know, once you're done, you're kind of done. So um, in order for you to play professionally, it kind of takes that mindset of I want to play and I'm going to do whatever it is that I can to, shoot, to show or to prove to others that um, I'm willing to be taking a chance on. You know what I mean? So um, for me, I went to tryouts for these teams and it always ended up being a decision of, oh, we don't have enough money. So, um, because they've already had a team roster and that they're, they're, they're putting out these tryouts to kind of, you know, add a couple people on their teams. And it always seemed like I made it to the, I made it through the trial process, made it to the practice with the team. And then it would come to a decision whether, uh, whether I deserve money or not. And it was kind of like, oh, like we don't, we, we invested too much money in this one player or we've already caught like our, her contract already um, already was like promised this amount of money and this is that. So it's very, it's very political in my opinion. Um, just because there's so many girls that are so talented and gifted in the sport and that there should be um, just like how the MLB is kind of uh, sectioned out. There should be, that type of scheme um, for softball, but it just seems like um, there's not enough people that really want to invest. Hmm. Yeah. Like, so what would you say a day in the life is like for a softball player? Cause I, I heard you mention of like the money situation that goes on with softball and um, like, I, I, I don't want to assume anything, but there's probably not as much, uh, money I feel like the softball players that play in these pro leagues they're kind of living off of like a minor league salary so have you know do you know any players that have had to you know find other jobs to compensate for the cost of living or how how does that oh yeah you can't <laughs> yeah the only person that I think is living their best life um is uh, Monica Abbott um mm. she's a pitcher uh she she's making bank <laughs> wait does she uh, does she play a cow or no, she's, she's the face. She's like the face of USA softball. Um, she was a pitcher um, and she is probably one of the most well-known names uh, behind, you know, like Jenny Finch mm -hmm. um, that has completely, you know, she's like, she's like what softball is, you know what I mean? Um, so when it comes to that out of one person that is, making the most money out of like everybody else it's very slim um 
really endorsements is how you make your money. Um, so we're talking about, you know, uh, commercials, deals with Nike or Adidas or New Balance. That's kind of like where you make your money when it comes to being a professional softball player. Um, on the revenue side, it, it's not something that you can live off of um, or at least live comfortably. Um, I know plenty of professional softball players that have regular jobs um, or that have jobs within softball that isn't necessarily affiliated with um, the professional league, but, you know, obviously their name can speak for themselves when it comes to a lot of these girls that want to go to their camps or want to get lessons by them. Mm. So it's really about selling yourself and understanding and knowing the type of player that you are, because somebody may think that you are worth, you know, teaching their kid fundamentals regardless of where you went to school, if you're a professional athlete or not, it's really about uh, sometimes what other people perceive your worth as. But yeah, um, I don't necessarily think that um, a one out of thousands of people who are probably played softball professionally um, that are making a living um, off of, you know, being a professional softball player it just makes it seem like, you know, it's, it's some, some may think that it's like a temporary job and it's not something that they can live after they have retired, um, that they can, you know, sustain their lifestyle with the salary that they're making playing softball. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it feels like if you, if you get the same amount of exposure as, you know, say like a Mike Trout or kind of like a Candace Parker, you're just probably, it's not going to still compensate for just, you know, like, be, like you, you saw the status of being a professional athlete, but, you know, at times, you know, on the financial side, it almost feels like with all the endorsements and the team contracts, it's not, it's, it's kind of different from, you know, other sports or just a mm-hmm. different level of the sport. Yeah. yeah. And um yeah yeah I feel like you know that's that always is something to think about knowing that you know there are women that do play professional sports and you know I feel like that like with them having a professional sports title they should be or should receive the same salary as you know other professional athletes well I mentioned you know male athletes but you know I I do think that with all the money because this is a this is a billion dollar business I mean I've learned that from my freshman year at St. John's, you know, taking sports management classes that there is a lot of money that, that, ha- that can be invested in sports. It's just that, you know, I feel like it's you know, with just the gender, the gender differential in our country, you know, women still fall by the wayside as far as, you know, getting a major contractor, having their name more exposed to the national audience. And, you know, I feel like that, that is something that can change in the future for uh, women in sports because, I feel like women, women, female athletes should be valued just as much as male athletes are. That's just my. Opinion. Oh yeah, we preach to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but you know, it, until we can fix that on the government side, I don't think uh, sports is really going to fault. Like it's it's really it really isn't going to falter to the whole idea of like everybody should get paid the same, you know. Mm-hmm. Or like female athletes should get paid this or whatever. Because I mean, you could just look at the um, USA soccer team. You know, the whole scandal, oh, yeah, well, not scandal yeah. but the whole um, ordeal with the 
you know, USA soccer team for being number one in the world and the men didn't even do half as well, but they still got paid more than they did when they won the World Cup. They didn't you know, even make the World Cup and they're still getting get paid. paid yeah. Money. Yeah, that just goes to show how um, – and their ratings were really high as well. So it's like not only do we have a lot of people watching us, but we also are winning. So – why why does that make a difference to uh just because the male soccer team is the male soccer team the women's soccer team is going to get paid xyz compared to um men but that's a whole that's a whole nother beast which like i said until until the our government uh has some type of you know switch in democracy or a change in heart to mm-hmm. um their um their idolization of like people being equal which doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon um you know until there's a switch in that aspect um you know i'm just gonna have to live with what we live with on a daily basis (laughs) wait so um what what part of california did, uh, did you say you were from um, I'm from Southern California. It's called Temecula. Temecula. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, have, I was wondering because there's actually a, a female NASCAR driver that's coming up. Uh, have you heard of uh, Haley Deegan? She's actually from Temecula. What? Yeah. No, I haven't heard of her, but I'll definitely do more research. Yeah, definitely check her out. Yeah, she's a yeah she's a female NASCAR driver that's coming up through the rankings. Um, very popular. Like even though like she she's actually only 18 years old. And she's already racing like, some of the top levels in, in NASCAR. And uh, oh, wow. yeah, because well, yeah, when I found out she was from Temecula, I was like, wait a minute, isn't Kayla from there? And like, yeah, you know, I feel like. Yeah, I am from Temecula. Temecula. Yeah. You know, a lot of people joke that say that I have stated that I'm from San Diego, but I was born in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up in Temecula. So. Hmm. Yeah. Are you still uh, considered Temecula your hometown though? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, as far as like all the countries you played softball in, like you, you know, I looked at your, uh, your bio and you said, you know, you played professional softball in countries like Switzerland, uh, New Zealand, even in some parts of the United States. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm looking at my notebook down here because I wrote the questions down. So okay. yeah, of all the countries you played softball in, which one was your favorite country to play in? So I would rank it, basically, I would rank it like this. Uh, Switzerland and New Zealand are tied for first, and then Alabama was second. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Both countries were absolutely beautiful, absolutely clean. Um, It's just something uh, for a girl like my age when, you know, just coming out of college and being very wide-eyed and not ever – you know, being out of the country before, um, being able to go to these type of um, countries was just so dope. When I mean clean, we're talking about just clean air, um, clean food. It was just like, I felt like I was losing weight eating food in these places. Mm. Um, It's just crazy how um, it's just such a different lifestyle in these countries. And um, I absolutely loved playing there. Um, the atmosphere was great. Um, 
the team. Um, like how, how is the competition in those countries? The competition, yeah. So, um, so the competition was um, pretty like leveled out. Um, if you're fortunate enough to get on like a team where like it's, it's kind of high caliber, um, then you're kind of just going back to, okay, like I'm playing in college. But then there are some teams where you have to kind of train um, your team to understanding that you can get better in the game. You're not just stagnant because, you know, they're not they're They're doing uh, these teams are kind of playing the game as more of like extracurricular as like physical education. You know what I mean? Um, outside of their work life, like their real lives. So um, for us, you know, it's our job. And um, really, it's our job to continue to uh, develop, you know, a type of savvy for them with the game because we have played it so long. And um, then our teams get better. You know what I mean? Just like when you when you practice something for so long that you're going to end up, it's going to end up being becoming a routine. So um, I emphasized a lot of um, practices and making sure that like mechanics were right with certain individuals and helping out in coaching. So, um, you know, it's almost like when I went overseas, I was a coach and a player. So I was fortunate enough to do that. Yeah. That's cool. Um, would you say, you know, like, uh, I'm pretty sure you had like players from other countries on those teams. Like was, like, how did you ever get along with them? Like, was there ever, like, a language barrier? Like, did you even have to learn the language, like, when you were playing in Switzerland? Or, um, or, yeah. play, or say, if you were playing playing another country against, you know, like, a foreign competitor and, like, say, like, you know, because I know in baseball, yeah. you know, like, say, you know, you get, get on first base and single and, like, they, based in softball or baseball, they say that first base is the most com- conversational part of the field. So, um, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, how, like, how was that like, you know, did you, was it a culture shock or did you have to learn the language at all? Yeah. Um, culture shock for me, for sure. Cause obviously like, um, when I first went to Switzerland, I've never been outside of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so culture shock for sure. Language barrier. No, like Switzerland, they actually speak English, really, really good English. Mm-hmm. And then in New Zealand, uh, they speak English. So, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Not much of a language barrier. Um, I would say the most dip- the difficult, uh, most difficult um, experience that I ever had to endure, where I did feel like very, very lost, was uh, I was a pickup player for a Polish team, um, in uh, in a, it's called the it was called the um, the Winners Cup. Um, it was a championship in Naples, and I decided to be a pickup player um for a polish team and mind you uh they i don't even know the actual language that they speak but i was completely lost i was just like i would kind of like wait because there was this one girl that didn't speak english at all and Mm. like they were they were just speaking their native language to her and then it was kind of like they they were um translating for her what i said (laughs) So I was kind of like at a loss for words. Cause I was like, dang, bro, like I have no idea. I can't even, I can't even comprehend what you guys are saying at all. So it, it was to a point where like, you know, some of the games, I was very silent. Um, but, you know, like I said, I'm a very, 
outgoing bubbly person so like there was some there was some uh, um some like chants that I learned that was Polish and then there was some chants that I learned that were like that were Swiss German which is what they speak over there in Switzerland like I was you know adapting to the culture and not being so like closed off or standoffish and being like oh like well I'm from America and I don't know what they're talking about type stuff like I wanted to learn and um build like a relationship to where like if I needed to like speak something mm. that I knew how to be like receptive towards people um I always get along with everybody um I don't necessarily think that anybody can say that they've ever not liked me I, like as a player per se because I'm very I'm very loud I'm very energetic um I can be extra at times very extra <laughs> um but I mean, every player every yeah, player I'm, I'm, just, I'm memorable there's a lot of people who are like oh my gosh I miss your loud voice you know what I mean or I miss your enthusiasm mm -hmm. um so it, it's not it, I never really like had beef with people because I mm -hmm. I don't know I just I'm not that type of person um because I like I said I'm a very like humble athlete like I don't walk around like I'm hot shit um mm -hmm. I know that um I I know the player that I am but I don't like walk around like I'm the best or I've peaked like I still am learning the game now um, because um, I'm starting to take hitting a little bit more seriously instead of slapping. So, um, so yeah, and I've developed some strength that I <laughs> never had, uh, especially <laughs> in college. So, um, so I've yeah. Seen, like, I've seen you play before and yeah, I did notice that you were like that lead off slap hitter, just, you know, get on, mm -hmm. get on base and use your speed. Of course, exactly. the, speed, the speed coming from track, you know, yeah, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's a particular play style. And I don't know, I feel like you know, I, I could go more into that, you know, because I, I know with softball and baseball, it's starting to become more of a game where power is more emphasized. There's not, you know, like back in the day when, you know, the game was first created, like, you know, back in the dead ball era, back when, you know, like before Babe Ruth became known, you know, baseball has always been like a game of, technique just like place the ball where wherever you could find find a hole but I feel like nowadays everybody's just trying to hit over the fence and you know just yeah, yeah just knowing you you know you never really were like a like a huge power hitter coming up so do you think that's been kind of contradicting the game how it's more of a power game than a just just a technical game because you know with got with so many players wanting to hit for the fences that also leads to more players striking out and lower, mm -hmm. lower batting averages they you know because yeah. you know they're they're focused more on the power numbers like do you think just you know just the power aspect of the game or the power aspect of hitting hitting a baseball or a softball has kind of been you know contradicting with the overall uh, laws of physics with the game or what do you mm -hmm. think honestly i think it's best to do both um because <laughs> uh, uh just just to bring um, a player of mine to perspective, that was my former teammate. Um, she was a slapper and she, very low strikeout um, mm. average, very low. 
Um, and it seemed like she could place the ball, not even hit it hard and still get on base. So I really do think that, yeah, it is contradictory, but if you can do both then you have best of both worlds, because you don't necessarily have to hit a home run to get on base. You can butt and get on base. You can hit it in the holes between, you know, shortstop and third base or up the middle, or even between first and second base, which I hit a lot of. Uh, holes in between first and second if I got around the ball but it's crazy that you get around the ball you have a crappy swing and oh you're on first base you know what I mean it, it may have not been the prettiest hit that you've had but you still have opportunity to get on base so I do think that it is um, uh, very uh, essential to be able to kind of pinpoint and be strategic when you swing um and like you don't have to hit a home run or a line drive like just coming from a slapper's point of view you should see how many blue pits i've had i've probably had 50 <laughs> blue pits that have been singles that are literally little baby pop-ups that go <laughs> baseman or shortstop's head and i'm like dang that was a crappy hit but hey i'm on base yeah so. i mean i mean yeah that's really like purpose of the game i mean there's there's nine players in the lineup and not everybody has to hit a home run. Sometimes you just got to make the first base. And um, exactly. I, I, I guess I would say for myself, the type of player that I was, I don't know. I can't really remember doing much. Hitting. Like, you know, I was like, when I was playing, you know, I, I, I was a pitcher. I was also a first baseman, even though like, you know, technically first basemen are usually like strongest guys on the team. I mean, I, mean, I, I got muscle, but you know, I never really like had, had the power you know, coming up, you know, like I, I was, I really, the type of hitter that I, I, I trained myself to become was like, I, I wanted to have like, like a high batting average. I wanted to have like a Tony Gwynn type bat, batting average. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, the way that I, tr I trained and the way that I, I hit, you know, I focused on like my, my goal every time I stepped up to the plate was just square the ball up the best way you can. You know, if you know a fastball is coming, just square it up, so, make solid contact. You know, yeah, definitely. You know, look out for holes if you can, and and the, you know, if if there's a guy on base, you know, my my goal every time when there was a guy on base, find some way to either move that guy over or drive him in. And I feel like, you know, nowadays, you know, say like in a bases loaded situation, and oh my god, like here's why I hate the most about um about about guys that you know always try to swing for defense with bases loaded. So I feel like. The, that like what I'm about to say, this is like a baseball sin where you strike out with the bases loaded. I mean, if somebody does that, I'm like, like if somebody does that, like if they strike out with the bases loaded, like it pisses me off because you know, like you you just gave away a chance to you know you could have at least got one run in. Like if you could get like a fly fly ball, it'd be a sack fly, or you know, ball hit up the middle, you know, that's one or two runs scored. Or you know you get find a good ball in the alley. That's that's three runs. You clear the bases, and you know I feel like I I feel if for the players that are coming up, they should be focusing more on being like sound hitters instead of just sticking to one, just the one talent. Like yeah, like it is great if you're a power hitter, but it's also great if you don't strike out a lot. So you know exactly. like yeah, just you saying that yeah, you it's best to have you know, th those two talents where you could be someone that can square up a baseball or someone that can can hit for power or someone that like, you know, someone that d does hit bloops and the player have Texas leaguers in the in the field. 
you know, yeah, I, I feel like that should be trained or that should be instilled in the mind of softball players and baseball players nowadays. But um, I yeah, I, I, I just wanted to give my take on that. But um, but yeah, well, Kayla, we're gonna wrap up pretty soon. Uh, a few more questions that, that I want to ask is so, as far as professional softball and like the professional softball circuit, how has how has that been impacted by the COVID nineteen pandemic? Oh, it's definitely been impacted. Like it's impacted everybody across the country. Um, so with the NPF, they were supposed to. Um, start their season uh i think a month ago so knowing that covid19 has been so serious and the mpf hasn't started just goes to show that uh this pandemic is affecting you know professional softball worldwide um i know that there are some teams who are starting to practice but they are having a social distancing rule uh, along their guidelines, whichever country that they're in, that they are doing, you know, the six foot rule, um, you know, no social contact, um, you know, everybody keeping their distance. So it's like definitely, no, impact no, no, yeah. Like, like, I mean, in California, they're starting, uh, like certain sports get to, you know, play or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. but the crazy thing is that, um, like even just working out, um, with, cause I'm, I'm a, I'm an athlete of, um, exclusive speed, mm -hmm. which is based out of the Bay area. Um, even just with our workouts, um, there's a lot of criticism of the group size that group sizes that we have. Um, when we go to these workouts, um, all across the Bay area and it just goes to show that, you know, this pandemic is really affecting the way that athletes live their lives and working out and participating just because you need two people right. to practice regardless. Uh, some sports do need three um, to make it a little bit easier. So, um, you know, social distancing has been a little bit problematic, but um, we've definitely made it work. I feel like if you... Um, if you can make it work and you have uh, less excuses about uh, you not working, <laughs> then I think that you can make ends meet. Um, I know a lot of athletes that I know are still like grinding, still working hard, not necessarily, um, you know, sitting on the couch, you know, getting, getting big. But, uh, but yeah, I know a lot of athletes that are working hard. Yeah. Yeah, I know it, it is pretty tough on athletes just knowing that, you know, being an athlete, that's, that's their day job. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not working your day job is, you know, you're not, you're not getting paid, like you're not fulfilling your responsibilities of your, of your con contractual obligations. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, I, I you know, I, I feel for athletes because, you know, again, like, like I mentioned earlier in, earlier in the show, you know, they do live these extravagant lifestyles, but right now they don't, have the opportunity to do that because they're either quarantined or they're just waiting on the word from their from their boss man or you know like the, the league official on like when when will I be able to play again and um yeah and like it, it's been it's been leveling up there's like you know with some of the states reopening you know California like I think a few days ago Gavin Newsom said that 
he's willing to lift the ban for sports in California to play just without any fans. And yeah, you know, I feel like which is next, lame. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, which is lame? Like, come on. I, it was it was it was funny when they were about to say, "Oh yeah, like we're gonna do March Madness with no fans." I was like, "Yeah, that's no like." What school, I was like, like basketball like, is all about the commotion of exactly the exactly and people getting amped up when mm-hmm. people are free throws. Like I was like, "That's not gonna work. That's not how athletes like work. Like we have to have some type of extra." um what do you call it like extra um no like madness or something extra, else like you have to have animal. something else yeah <laughs> you know you can't just like it, like that's practice yeah like <laughs> that's it, practice it, when, it, when it does feel weird the other in like in you know scrimmaging and stuff like that that's not a game mm-hmm. you know the game is with the fans the game is with the extracurriculars going on i mean shoot um in the regionals that I've played in, I have not even been able to hear my coach sometimes <laughs> over in the coach's box because it was right. so loud during an at-bat. So it's just it's – it's not the dynamic of sports, and I feel like if, if it's the safety of the athletes, make it that, but don't necessarily make it a revenue cause – like a causation um, of not having these athletes have any – Fans. Yeah, like, I mean, it does. It would feel weird to watch a baseball game and not hearing any that's like. like no. That's like BP. That's yeah, like, like pre-BP. Yeah, you know, mm. like a scrimmage. Like nobody, us athletes, we got to take like the game serious. Like, like you need and, that. Like you need that extra energy behind you. Like the 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 great the yeah. great thing about about sports fans is that when they go to, go to a game, like when they're cheering their heads off, like they bring that extra energy that the athletes have and when and the athletes they could build off that energy and that intensity like with their play and you know just having no fans at all I mean it's it's gonna feel weird I I guess they're feeding off of anything yeah (laughs) and like I could say you know I've been you know like like NASCAR actually returned a few a few days ago and like yeah like even though like NASCAR is pretty loud you can't really get the full aspect of how the fans are reacting but the fact that there's no fans at the racetrack, you know, even though like, yeah, like it's great that, you know, they're, they've been able to go back racing and do, doing it for real. But I don't know, like just without fans, even though they probably, you probably can't, you know, see them or hear them as much over the loud engines, you know, it still, still feels weird that there aren't any fans there or they don't bring that intensity to the track with them. And I don't know, it's just a, it's just a strange atmosphere to be in. But, um, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I don't like it. Um, yeah, just I don't know, like let it pass and then try to try to somewhat go back to normal. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know why this pandemic is so, um, extreme just because there have been outbreaks in the past. I mean, there's been the Ebola outbreak, the H1N1, mm-hmm. uh, swine flu. Yeah, so I don't necessarily know why this is so crazy. Um, to a point where uh, regular life doesn't seem attainable mm-hmm. um, or even like in the near future. <laughs> but um, hey, I don't know. Some people say it's conspiracy theories. Some people say it's the government. I don't know. All I know is that I'm healthy. There mm-hmm. was one point where I thought I was sick and I got tested and it was negative. So 
I don't know. <laughs> but that, um, but I was I was scared though because um, you know it's like you know if you have a cough then you got COVID. So I had this weird cough and I was like, okay, I'm gonna get tested. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. It's horrible. They stick they stick two cotton swabs so far up your nose it tickles your brain and then they oh, swab wait, the back. Wait, of your nose. Wait, I thought I thought it was through the mouth. It's up the nose. No, you you do both nostrils and oh. and the yeah, it's oh horrible. Oh my god! Oh man! And I did it in my car, so oh. I was in my car. This place stuck it, stuck it, stuck it. And I was like, oh, I'm never Ooh. doing this again. Ugh. I was like, I hope I'm negative at this point. Yeah, that's. I mean, oh man, I thought the virus, like, well, the virus is still bad, but the treatment even sounds sounds worse. Like, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, and that's the, uh, it's not even really a rapid test. You don't get results hmm. uh, for like 24 to 48 hours. Hmm. So the rapid test is like so expensive and you have to go to a hospital for it. And also, you know, hospitals are turning you away to a point where you have to have all these symptoms or, and you have to be old. Like I, I, uh, I went to Kaiser and I said my symptoms and they were like, oh, well you're young. So mm -hmm. just deal with it <laughs> and take some, take a, you know, mucinex. And I was like, what, what if I have COVID? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, last question. So of course, you know, like you, you already got your set plan. You're playing professional baseball. Like you're, also training young kids and yeah like so are there like any future goals in softball fitness or like how about music because I know you like to sing so you know like is there uh, any uh, future goals for you at all in the future um so currently right now I'm working to get into med school okay so. oh yeah, um, okay. all right <laughs> I just finished um, majority of my classes that I need in order to prepare me for the exam. Um, that's kind of like my goal right now. I am training kids. Um, once, you know, the world opens back up, um, I would love to go and play. Um, again, just because I know I'm gonna have this um, kind of wiggle room between uh, taking the exam and getting into schools, I'm still gonna have time to go play at least two more seasons. Okay. So the future in softball is probably a couple more seasons. And then if I get into med school, which is, I will get into med school, um, you know, then I'll start that process, um, you know, changing my life and becoming a, a, an adult, as I like to say. Because when I go play softball, I still feel like a kid. I don't feel like an adult. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love the game. It feels like I'm back, you know. 14 years old still playing the game that I love um when it comes to regards to singing um <laughs> I mean I I mean I've been I I take I took professional singing lessons when I was like three years old my first love was actually singing and mm -hmm. then I chose up on sports when I started getting competitive because uh, I felt like singing was always going to be there so, um, and I re started like recording at like 13 and I stopped that because then I started getting more competitive. So, um, in retrospect to that, I think singing is always going to be there. Um, the opportunity and the resources that I have and connections, um, within music, 
Um, Any plans to release an album? (laughs) Well, I have I have a song that I'm on with an a Bay Area artist. I'm just doing ad libs. Oh, really? Yeah. uh, I'll send you the link. It's not necessarily an appropriate song, but. Um, <laughs> like, 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 like send it anyway. I'll put it in the, in the description so you know viewers could go. Yeah, um, but I, you know, I I always shoot for the stars when it comes to my occupations. Um, I've never been somebody that said like, oh, like you can't do something. Um, I've always wanted to do everything or just, you know, pick the hardest thing, go for that first, which is med school right now, and then after that, you know, figure it out. But um, you know, like maybe uh, when I, because I just ended school, so I'm a little less stressed out. Um, mm-hmm. I may start getting into, you know, um, like posting um, some uh, some covers and stuff like that. Because I'm very, I am very critical. Um, I've always been critical on the way my voice sounds, just because it has changed since I was, you know, two. Cause that's when I started singing. Um, so it's definitely changed and it's about, you know, being acclimated to your sound and accepting like the voice that you have. But um, that's always there. I honestly think that I could start that whenever. Um, but yeah, a uh, couple more seasons for softball, but really right now my focus is trying to get into med school and um, also giving the, giving this time to my kids to train them and so that they can get the best um, opportunities with me um, while I'm around. Cause I have um, Bay area clients and I also have SoCal clients. So like my SoCal clients right now, they're like, Hey, when are you coming back? <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, don't worry. I'll be there in like a week. And then, you know, I have my Bay area clients that I've been working with and they're like, Oh my gosh, I don't want you to leave. So yeah. Oh well, yeah. Kayla, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, we're gonna wrap up pretty there. And like Kayla, it's been a it's been a thin slice in that like like I, I like to say like it's been a thin slice of heaven. So yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, like man, yeah, it's definitely awesome. Like it's definitely sounds like you got a lot going on for you, both softball, medical school, uh training. Like, yeah, you like I mean like, like you got like you got that vision, girl. Like, you know, I'm definitely proud of you. Like, all, you just, you just put like, it all on my head. Put yeah. it all. Yeah, you like you came a long way from uh well from when we first met, and yeah, it's definitely awesome to hear that you're still doing pretty good for yourself. And uh, yeah, Thank like you. wish you the best for the for the future. Thank you. Yeah, but uh, anyway, that's been our episode of the Real Deal Bros podcast. Again, I have my guest Kayla Taylor, uh, amazing Kayla Taylor, and uh, yeah, definitely check it out and like check it out on Spotify and also like, comment, subscribe on our videos. And uh, yeah, Kayla, thanks again for coming on. I've been Phil Paul. And as always, make sure to keep it real.